Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod, and today we're looking at Noah and the flood. And in some ways, the shape of the story is the opposite of last week. So it's hard to describe this um, using words because you need to see the picture. But if last week was a mountain, so Genesis 2 is getting better and better and better and better towards its peak, and then everything went wrong, and then Genesis 3 was going down, and kind of creation was being undone. Uh, This is the opposite. If Genesis 2 and 3 was a mountain, this is a valley. So in chapter 6 and 7, everything gets worse and worse and worse down towards the bottom of the valley. And then again, there's a reversal, a turning point, and everything starts to build and be restored. But let's start uh, on the way down the slope, downward towards the depths. So we've already seen last week the fall of man, the distrust of God's word, the entering of death into the world, the unravelling of creation. And then we get to something of a low point. It could be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Let me just read chapter 6, 5 and 6. Um, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man. And um, there's so much in these verses about the both, well, it's the intensity and the extent of sin, how great on the earth uh, where it resides, it's in the human heart, um, the, the absolute sway of it. There's only evil, it's habitual, continuous all the time. So it really paints a very um, comprehensive view of the problem of, of human sin. And we get God's emotional response to it. He's not indifferent, but it grieves him. Now, this is important, isn't it? Because, I mean, we're both Calvinists. We believe that God's in charge and he rules over the whole of time and his plans never fail and sometimes people point to this verse and say oh look God's made a mistake you know he didn't know it was turn out like this and I think God God did know he went into creation with his eyes open if you like but we mustn't reduce it to just this is a game of chess where God thought okay I make the world it goes wrong then I fix it and it's all fine as you say we God is horrified by evil and he hates it and he's opposed to it and he's grieved by it and we mustn't have too neat a theological system that doesn't have room for the wrongness of what's wrong and the fact that God also fit deeply feels that. And the emotional response is really telling. I think we think of sin as breaking of a rule, um, and the Bible says, no, it's much more than that. It's breaking of a heart. It's, mm. um, it's always personal. It's always saying to the one who has um, shown us such love and kindness, no, um, and, and it, naturally it will grieve him. And it's almost like the the thing's gone so wrong that God's only choice is to destroy it. It's a bit like a cancerous tumour, and you know that the reason chemotherapy is so difficult is because you're, um, you're trying to kill cells in your body, but you've got to kill the cancerous cells. And God takes that very um, extreme approach to it. I've got to, verse 7... I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man, animals and creeping things and birds in the heavens. And God kind of goes back to square one 
almost, and we'll see the almost in a minute, but he, in a way, literally throws the creative process into a verse and rolls it back. So the flood, um, when the rain comes, um, arguably it is a, it's deliberately a turning back the clock on the first three days of creation. So day one, God created the day and the night. Day two, God separated the sky from the sea. Day three, God separated the sea from the land. Now, rolling it back, the sea and the land become indistinguishable because there's sea everywhere. Um, the, the, the flood covers the land, there's no land. But also, and I think I've missed this when I've read it before, but also this, the sky and the sea become the same because the way the flood works is the rain's coming down and the floods are coming up and they sort of meet in the middle and all you've got is water. So you can't even tell what's up and what's down. So you've, you've reversed day three of creation, you've reversed day two of creation. And of course, with that, you're destroying day six, five, four of creation. You're the, the, the creeping things that crawl on the land are being destroyed. Uh, even the birds of the air are being destroyed because some of them have to be taken onto Noah's Ark, but the others are going to be wiped out by the, the flood water. So God is un, undoing, he's decreating the world um, because it, it's so full of evil now. It's like it's, it, this is not salvageable. Yeah. except it kind of is and with uh, andrew's mentioned there's this um, valley shape uh, with uh, a low point but the the pivot point the turning point of the whole passage is an interesting phrase it's three words god remembered noah chapter 8 verse 1 and it's um it's interesting because the way the story is told it's it's the the context of it is a covenant and we that, the covenant is introduced right there in 618 mm-hmm. And Noah keeps his side of it. So uh, verse 22, Noah did this, all that the Lord commanded him. 7.5, Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Same again in 7.16. So we get, it seems to be going so well because Noah's doing his part. But of course, the turning, the question is, will God keep his part? And wonderfully, that's what will bring the salvation. Chapter 8, verse 1, but God remembered Noah. And um, that's a, a covenantal thing um, term to remember. We're going to see that later in chapter nine. Um, he he remembers the terms of the covenant and keeps it. Now this might surprise some of our listeners, Andrew, because we're used to the idea in the Bible, and it's absolutely right that salvation is entirely from God's side and entirely by grace. Um, but you've described it as a sort of two-party solution: God's part and Noah's part. And indeed, you said. Noah's been faithful and obedient and we're told at the beginning he's a righteous man. Now this kind of doesn't fit easily with our biblical framework because we think surely Noah's a sinner like we are and God's grace comes to him entirely at God's expense. How, how do we fit in this theme of Noah's righteousness and his obedience and the the two parties to the covenant? So the, the writer of Genesis is going to tell us later when we get to Abraham in chapter 15 how righteousness can come to a person it's when Abraham believes God but that's not his concern now his concern now is to just to introduce a righteous person and one of the things the Bible does again and again is it gives us little um, the technical term is types but little um, cameos of characters who point us to the one who's going to come and um, so Noah yes he's I mean he is just a believer like us but he also um, is a picture of 
the righteous man who through whom the earth is going to be saved who's going to come the lord jesus and so the, the writer is introducing him in that vein he's a righteous guy blameless in his generation because we're to we're to look on him and think ah oh, even the question is could this be the serpent crusher he he looks um even when he's um his father names him um there's there's a clue that maybe he's going to be the one who will bring rest um and you tell, know tell us about that so serpent crusher this is a term from last week genesis three fifteen, the promise that the one born of woman would crush the serpent's head and then you said uh, tell us about noah's name yeah so it's at the end of chapter five um uh his dad's called lamech and it says he called him noah out of the ground the lord has cursed this one shall bring us relief or rest and um the as you're reading it perhaps a first time reader you probably know he's not going to be <laughs> but there's, there's at least the, the the playing with the idea could this be the promised one um and in a sense he is he is the one who will bring humanity through this um crisis but there'll be another one who will ultimately bring us through the final judgment so we see no is significant and of course god's significant because god is the one who chooses to make this covenant this promise to a fallen world and um god says in chapter six verse five i'm going to blot out man i've created and you think it's going to be a complete undoing of everything but actually it's not so god's plan is not destroying the world god's plan is to redeem the world and to bring through the act of judgment um, a man and his family and some animals famously (laughs) that he he keeps and so uh, the ark is the difference between annihilation and uh, renewal and redemption Um, so go and build an ark um, and he does and uh, they're preserved through the water of judgment and this phrase, God remembered Noah, I mean, it doesn't mean that God forgets, but the verb remember, it means calls to mind the promise he's made and acts on it. And we'll get this all the way through Genesis when God remembers covenants. Um, he didn't forget them, but he's now enacting them. Someone described it to me as um, remembering your wedding anniversary. So remembering doesn't mean knowing the date of it and as the date passes thinking yes this was the date Um, remembering in bible terminology is is getting ready to act on it and that's god remembered noah i.e he acted on it and the way in which god acts on it is to again throw the switch if there's a forward back switch on creation god uh, turns it forward and creates the uh, the sky and the sea the sea and the land and populates the sea, populates the land. Um, and this he... is this is where all our work in Genesis one comes into play because there's so many little echoes of the creation of the world. So there's God's spirit hovering over the abyss we saw in chapter one, and then how does God do it in chapter eight? Well, He sends a wind or a spirit to renew the earth in verses one and two. Just as you know, in the first chapter of the Bible, He divided the waters. He does the same thing. Uh, he causes the dry ground to appear, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's a deliberate sort of, oh, look, this is a new creation act. Even to the point that the script is the same. So he said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply, to Adam and Eve. And now he says to Noah, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So God creates in Genesis chapter 1. God decreates in the flood. He throws it into reverse. God recreates here in Genesis 8 and 9. 
So the the idea that to rescue the world requires an act of creation. And we think of the creation of the world as a very big, significant act, and, and it is. Um, actually, redemption is on a par with it. It's only a creator that can do it. You couldn't um, delegate this job, either the creation or the redemption of the world, uh, to someone less than the creator. It's a, it's like a new creation act. And, and the, the New Testament makes this point in various ways but uh, a christian is called in 2 corinthians five seventeen a new creation it's, it's um, making someone uh, you know bringing them into christ is a creative act on a par with the creation of the world now if we ask the question what why does god do this and do you think well it's because he saw some potential in the human race still or it wasn't all lost maybe Noah is going to be a bit different to everyone else uh, and then if that's our working hypothesis, we get a real shock when we get to chapter 8, verse 20. So I'm just going to read these verses because they're very, very significant and we'll think about them. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird. Brackets. This is why on the ark you had, they came in two by two, except for the ones that came in seven by seven. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's spare animals of the sacrificial animals, basically. Um, anyway, he offered some burnt offerings when the lord smelled the pleasing aroma the lord said in his heart i will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth never again will i strike down every living creature now this is very amazing because it, it tells you the reason why god saves the world and the reason why god doesn't save the world so that well, what the reason isn't <clears throat> and what the reason isn't is God notices man's improved or has potential or is salvageable. And there might have been that hope because here we've got the best of humanity in his family. So we, we might have thought, oh, well, here's what's going to happen. We're just, we're just going to get the best people and then we'll be okay. But in fact, after this act of rescue, God repeats basically almost verbatim the same description of humanity. The inclination of their hearts was evil. So man hasn't changed in their fundamental nature. And in fact, we see this if we keep, keep reading on that Noah and his family are themselves um, degenerate and sinful. But what has changed then if it's not human potential? Well, some, some, something that smells nice. <laughs> when the Lord smelt the pleasing aroma. Um, and it's, the, it's a link with the word, it's a rest bringing aroma, the same word that Noah was going to bring rest. And um, this is a really... Uh, exciting moment in understanding God's purposes because what brings the change of heart for the Lord is I was going to say what what aroma does God most like daffodils or (laughs) (laughs) or lilies or well when he smells this it changes everything um barbecues it's a barbecue and we'll follow this up as we go through our overview about what the sacrificial system and why it is that um this points to a final sacrifice one um, a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but it ultimately God's attitude to humanity is is impacted not by our self improvement, but by uh, one who will be sacrificed for us. So, if the turning point in God's intentions is sacrifice, um, you've pointed out to me before that that means that everything that we see around us today is blood bought. So Christians are redeemed by Jesus' blood. Um, and that's the only way to be safe in God's judgment. 
But there's a sense in which the very fact the world is here at all is also because of sacrifice. This this would have been uh, the the end of creation if if not for the fact that God was appeased by sacrifice. And and that makes sense uh, logically as well. We don't just not deserve things because we're we're finite. We we counter deserve them. We we deserve judgment, and yet we get grace every day, every time we eat our breakfast. And here we're discovering that it was. the the reason God is creating a stable environment in which he's going to provide good things for us is because it's on the result of a sacrifice. And it's obviously not the the blood of bulls and calves that does it. It's pointing to Christ's sacrifice. And then God adds more promises. So this this, um, section of the Bible begins and ends with the covenant. It starts with the covenant that meant God sent an ark and preserved Noah. And it ends with a covenant where God says, never again will I destroy the world by water? And um, it comes, I think, four or five times this phrase, never again, never again. So um, he smells the aroma, I will never again curse the ground. Um, And then says, God gives the the symbol of the rainbow and says, um, this will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I remember the covenant. The waters will never again destroy the flood. We need to reclaim the rainbow. I mean, all sorts of people want it, don't they? The LGBT symbol the nhs took it in lockdown but it does actually belong to the christian this the rainbow as god intended it is a is a sign of his promises to show mercy to the to the creation and i love that um the lord is so sensitive to how the human heart works i mean you can imagine in those decades following the flood and you you know you're you've sinned in some terrible way and you think is this going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back it is this going to be the one? Is God going to repeat the flood and the world's going to be destroyed again? And it would have been a potentially a very terrifying environment to be in, except for the fact God says, no, uh, you don't have to live with that kind of uncertainty. I'm going to assure you this is a stable world and, and the, the rainbow and the covenant give that assurance. I like the idea. Um, I think I, I first came across it from Glenn Scrivener's podcast today he, he's not the first to have mentioned it but that it's called a rainbow and the word bow is the thing that you have with an arrow and it, it's actually the same word it's not just a coincidence of of words um so as you see the the bow in the in the sky think of a bow and arrow in the sky and you ask which way is the arrow pointed um it's pointed upwards so it's just i i, I like that it's a little hint that the consequences that of this evil the cost of forgiving it is going to be borne by god himself the sacrifice he's pleasing aroma will avert his wrath will be provided by god himself yeah and we um we've got in the habit in our overview of thinking about envelopes of fulfillment so how does the new testament teach uh, the flood story and i guess uh, it's very significant for us in understanding what's to come do you want to speak to that there's actually so many places, aren't there? One of the fun things about the game, so people in our group have to guess which New Testament verse we might have chosen to correspond to this story. And the, the answer is there's all sorts of ones. So there's Hebrews 11, which tells us that by faith Noah built an ark. And that's a really helpful lesson, isn't it? Here's a world that looks fine. It's a sunny day and, and Noah knows judgment's coming. 
because God told him and so he acts on it and it's very like the world today where the world looks fine and Jesus has said well actually the world doesn't look that fine but there are hints aren't there that something's desperately wrong but lots of people carry on as if the world's permanent and God says there's a judgment coming and Christians know that and we need to act on it that's Hebrews 11 uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 um, have you got it ready to read yeah I can um, uh God's God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that's eight persons, that's Noah's family, were brought safely through water. And we're told that that water corresponds to the water of baptism by which we're connected to Jesus as we pass through the judgment and out the other side through his death and resurrection. Um, that I mean, that's a wonderful picture, isn't it? That the, the thing that God uses to bring people through the judgment um, well, it was an ark in Noah's day, and it's the the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus today. And then maybe also 2 Peter chapter 3, which tells us there's a connection of salvation from here. There's also a connection of, of judgment from here. And it, it talks about people scoffing at the idea of the return of Jesus and the final judgment. And Peter says they deliberately forget that the world was made out of water and the wor- world of the ancient times was destroyed through water and um, in the same way the heavens and the earth that now exist are reserved for fire for for the judgment um i think the, the image of fire is interesting isn't it because fire in the bible it doesn't totally destroy it it purifies so you you take gold through fire and it comes up um even pure gold but you take dross through fire and, it, and it's destroyed and it's the idea that just as the flood was a a purging um, a destruction of some and a salvation of others. I think the image of fire is, is the same, that God is going to use it to burn away the chaff and all that's ungodly. But through the fire will come those who are saved by grace. Thanks so much for listening again to Grace Pod and do join us next time. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.